Have you ever had the desire to step into a canoe or a kayak or perhaps a rubber raft and just allow that vessel to take you on a journey through some babbling brooks, some meandering streams, or perhaps some intense whitewater rapids? If that has been on your bucket list, then I think today is the day that you will enjoy listening to this podcast. Today, I got to speak with the founder of the Tachinshini Rafting Expedition, a gentleman who has recently been inducted into the Yukon Sports Hall of Fame, and I was fortunate enough to catch him on a sunshiny day without his butt in an actual boat. That's a rare event because I'm sure that's where he's heading now. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Mr. Bob Daff from Tachinshini Rafting Expedition. He's waiting for us on the other side, so let's cue the music. Here we go. Welcome to My Amazing Yukon Life Podcast. It's time now to sit back and fill your gold poke with nuggets of knowledge as we pan through stories of desperate struggle, wild adventure, love, despair, and untold fortune, recounted by those with the tenacity, determination, and grit to survive and thrive amidst the magic and mystery of Canada's Yukon. And now, your host, affectionately known as Trapper Dan, Yukon's Renaissance man, Daniel Haley. Welcome, everybody, to my Amazing Yukon Life podcast, episode number 003. Today, I'm thrilled to have this gentleman on the show. He has recently been inducted into the Yukon Sports Hall of Fame. He's an entrepreneur, an adventurous spirit, and generally a humble human being with multi-talents. He's been an inspiration to many paddlers throughout Yukon and the world. And I'm fortunate enough to get him today on the show, which is surprising to me because when it's sunshiny out here, there's usually water that's roaring and this gentleman needs to be in a boat more than a duck needs to be on water. So without further ado, Mr. Bob Daff. How are you doing today, Bob? Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, life is good. Good. Uh, question is for you to start with, um, what brought you to the Yukon of all places? Because I don't believe you're from here, are you? No, I was born in Belgium, and in Belgium, my parents bought me books of uh, kids that was having all sorts of adventure in Western Canada, named Andy and his dog, Bessie. And I read those books uh, as I was growing up. My parents immigrated to Canada. Uh, when I was old enough, I bolted west because that's where Andy lived, and that's where I wanted to live and be. Oh, isn't that funny that a book has actually brought you in this direction? Because I've asked that question to a few people before, like what brought them here? And it's sometimes it's just a little happenstance conversation with somebody for a minute or two. But yeah, for you, it was a book. That's that's impressive, isn't it? Yeah, and, and uh, we're dealing with German tourists, I kept asking them what brought you to Yukon, what brought you to Yukon. And they all read uh, Jack London in grade eight and nine. And so it was in their mind. That's when I realized the same thing happened to me, actually. Well, isn't that funny? Because that completely harkens to my, my past career here. I was a teacher of, of English, grade nine, and that's one of the books we read. So you're right on the mark with that. It's a great sense of freedom living up here. And uh, I think that's what a lot of people are searching. Yeah, I think so too. And you've seen your share of tourists, you know, through the through the businesses that you've been in, several, mm-hmm. several businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, what year did you come to Whitehorse exactly? Or did you come to Whitehorse directly? Um, no, I, my parents immigrated to Montreal when I was 15 and never really liked a big city. And when I was 18, I bolted west. And so it was 69 by the time I got in Yukon. 
Oh, what was that like in those times? Like, what's one of your your vivid memories from that 1969 era? Uh, um, Main Street was the only paved street, and they still had boardwalks. And uh, it was a, a really small town, and it was very, very different. Yeah, pretty Dawson-esque, I guess, in some regards. Uh, yeah, very much like, you know, and then once you spend uh, a couple of winters up here, then people really warmed up to you. Did you actually move right into Whitehorse and stay in the city since you arrived here? I moved to Whitehorse and I got a job on the highway on Ains Road. And uh, so that kind of stole my heart right there as well. So, um, yeah, that's where we're doing all the rafting and spending a lot of time. Okay, so were you right up at, at the Blanchard River there for the highway crew? Blanchard River in those days was a... Uh, a pumping station for the pipeline. Uh, we were at camp at Mule Creek, and then we were re- rebuilding the highway. So we moved camp uh, from Ains Junction all the way to the border. And was that actually a park at the time? I don't. That's way before my time. I didn't get here till '96. No, no, nothing was a park. Cluani uh, Park was not a park. Uh, Jean Chrétien made it a park when he became. Uh, a minister under Pierre-Elio Trudeau, so that's quite a way back. But no, nothing was a park. It was just a dirt road, uh, a really slow, meandering dirt road to drive. Mm-hmm. When you moved up here, like you said, most of the roads were dirt other than the, the paved main street of Whitehorse. Um, yeah. What? All, all the roads were made out of gravel. It yeah. was just uh, the norm. And how about all the steamships? Were they all parked by then? I think that was the end of the era, was it not? The steamships were parked, uh, but I was here the day the two steamships uh, burned down in Whitehorse there. Oh, yeah. Jeez, I saw pictures of that yeah. at the Airliner Hotel. Mm-hmm. What a, yeah. What a tragic yeah. event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when, when you came here, was it your intention to just paddle some of the rivers just for your own enjoyment, or were you sort of thinking outside of the box and maybe creating a business? Uh, no, Andy in his book actually never paddled. Uh, but when I came here, I bought a, a 13-foot Simpson Sears canoe, and then I got on lakes and rivers, and then that was it. I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And then kayaking too, of course. That that came about. Uh, kayaking was an extension. We canoeing. I saw some kayakers, and it was a different craft, and so we tried it out, and we made our first kayaks out of fiberglass. And, so it was, uh, it was pretty funny years, really. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good for you. And how about your, your kids? I think they're into it, aren't they? Yeah, growing up, you know, we started a rafting business, and, of course, the kids grew up into it. And uh, they played on rafts in their backyard for years and years, you know. And, and now my grandchildren are spending hours playing on rafts and bouncing up and down. So it's kind of fun to see a new generation doing the same thing and having fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, now that area that the Tachinshini expediting set up at right now, that's, to my knowledge anyway, there's a, a road camp not too far. It's in the in the big valley there where there's three guardsmen, I think it's called. Um, how did you pick that location when you f- first started that business? Well, we, we were rafting uh, the Tachinshini and initially it was a weekend operation. And then it grew, so we started rafting during the week. And then the longer you are, the more people find out about you. So it became a 
a seven day a week operation during the summer months. And so we needed a base and we leased land from the highway camp on Ains Road. Mm-hmm. So that's at Blanchard Camp and that's how we got installed there. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of evolved from there, really. It must take a lot of paperwork and permitting to get that done, I would suspect. Uh, not in those days, you know. There were oh. days where we lived without paperwork. I, mean, yeah, I think people forget about that, but there were days without paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> we long for those it's, days again. Definitely. Yeah, it's the same thing with doing outdoor trip with the school. You know, now they have uh, pages to uh, of paperwork to do before they can go. And uh, in the old days, it was just a uh, discretion of the school principal. And so uh, a teacher would ask to go and they go, yeah, go. And that was it. You know, there was no paperwork involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now there's all the safety issues to go with that and liabilities and, and whatnot. Um, have you been involved in the school system as well? I know that you've also done a lot of um, a river rescue type of courses and things. Is that part of the school system or is that something that you're doing yourself? No, Rust Aid got me involved in uh, being an assistant teacher for outdoor class uh, 32 years ago, actually. Right. And um, and then so I started going out with him and then we kind of created a program. We even made a movie about it and, uh, and that worked really well. And, and A.V. Smith uh, and RCMP in Yukon uh, got us involved in the youth at risk program and, and uh, that was really good as well and it was an excellent medium for me i never really wanted to grow up so working with kids was just perfect <laughs> well you learn a lot too because you you think like a young person does again you see it through new eyes think- yeah that's right yeah 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 it was sure fun uh, they, uh, they were fun years mm-hmm. and what's going on now currently with the with the touch and sheeny business is your son running it now yeah, I kind of, uh, you know, you get older and then, you know, number of days are limited. So I uh, I got my son involved in a business about 13 years ago and then he became my business partner. And then last year, uh, one of the guys was really good and he wanted to get involved. So I sold him my share. So now they're both running the business. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you show up at the Blanchard camp, what does a person have to learn and, and get geared up for exactly? We usually get everybody in a wetsuit and a life jacket. We give them paddles, breeze helmets. And then we have a safety talk that lasts about 10 to 15 minutes. And we brief them on how to go down the river in a paddle strokes and and lots of time when the river is high, we'll stop and have another big safety talk above the rapids. And then, uh, yeah, and then we go down and have fun. We get we get a tremendous amount of repeat business, you know, so it's always fun to see people coming back. Mm-hmm. And, and that day trip, you have a lunch as well, too, don't you? Pull up onto the side of the, onto the cliff. Yeah, we, we supply a lunch. And, uh, yeah, about, uh, approximately about an hour after we leave, we stop and have a big lunch. Yeah, I think my memory of that was there was one raft has all the food on it. This person's solo. And when they get to set up camp, they somehow get past you as you're rafting and they flip the ki- or flip the raft over and that becomes the table. And then out comes the food and uh, nothing, oh, nothing, yeah. nothing tastes so good as, as having a meal in the middle of that area. Like it's stunning yeah. 
landscape and just the energy of, of people having fun. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a really positive business because everybody's out there because they want to be out there and and they're out there because they want to have fun and so you just you just can't go wrong really. Mm-hmm. And that's the day trip. That, uh, that's the only one I've been on. But you say there's that is it a seven day or a ten day trip? We do uh, uh, six day trips and uh, four day trips, and then we do a ten day trips going down all the way to Dry Bay in Alaska. And then we fly out of there. Uh, and that's really neat because people see, uh, you know, country that very few people have seen. And there is, you know, lots of time you go down the river and all you'll see is maybe another group, you know. So it's uh, it's really remote wilderness and it's a, it's a very different feeling and, and it's beautiful. You can't, uh, mm-hmm. again, just really lucky to be in that business where you can't really go wrong, you know. Oh, exactly. You have happy people yeah. doing something that's mm-hmm. once in a lifetime oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. So just recently, I, I just noticed in the newspaper here, I think it was the 5th of June. Does that sound like the right date that they've inducted you into the Sports Yukon Hall of Fame? Was it the 5th? Uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's around in there someplace, yeah. Yeah. You probably didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, no, in fact, I was planning to go and explore a little river around Rancheria and and my wife told me you can't you have an appointment and I say no I don't have an appointment and she said yeah you do have an appointment <laughs> and so she had, she had to fess up and tell me what it was all about and uh, uh, but it was nice you know but you never uh, you never get your, uh, get there on your own you know what uh, Yukon Canoe and Guy Club has been a tremendous help and, uh, you know, being enthusiastic and, and uh, helping me with projects here and there, you know, so uh, so they they should take a lot of the credit for it. You know? Well, unknowingly to you, I've, I could probably list a dozen people right now that say Bob Daff. Yeah, he's the guy, like, for everything from fixing your bus to figuring out how to fix your wetsuit or patch a boat or a canoe, like... Yeah, you've had an influence on a lot of people, and you may not know that, but I think that's a well-fitting award for you to, to be yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was great. It was a great honor, you know. And uh, But, yeah, but, but I don't want people to forget the other people that were involved. And then the next generation, you know, like Lawrence Brennan, that is, uh, sure. we taught him when he was a little kid, and now he's teaching kids how to kayak and enjoy waterways, you know. And so it's really nice to see... Uh, the legacy and the spirit of the club being passed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. No, that's often how it happens. You know, you have to honor the people that helped you get to where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and all I ever did want is I wanted to have fun, you know, and so yeah. after so many years of having fun, they gave you an award, you kind of go, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of fun, I just read an article a while back here and uh, I think this might be your quote, actually. You showed up here with a van, a case of beer and a raft. <laughs> and that's and that's right. That's when we st- that's when we started rafting. Yeah, before before we needed paperwork and insurance and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Now you've been all mm. over the place too. I remember. I'm going to say 12 or 15 years ago, there was something at the Yukon Art Center, and it was um, a video. I'm going to say Central South America. You took a crew of people from Yukon down there. Does that sound familiar? And they did a movie on this. Yeah, I worked in Chile for about 20 years, and then we went to Africa, and we went to uh, uh, Ecuador uh, in quite a few places, and Nepal rafting, and I always made an effort to uh, get as many Yukoners out there as I could, and uh, 
always offer trips to the Yukon Canoeing Tag Club volunteers, you know, to uh, mm-hmm. I basically say thank you. And so they were uh, they were Yukon people uh, boating all around the world, and that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I can still remember yeah. that like it was yeah. yesterday. Yeah. That was a number of years ago. One of the scenes yeah. that sticks in my mind is all these people have kayaks on their shoulders and all their wet gear. They're walking through the airport with these kayaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now we've got pack rafts, so it's a lot easier to fly with. And then uh, I am still actually doing trip with locals, going to different rivers around the world and and paddling. Mm -hmm. How about the ones up here? Is there any that you still hearken to get onto? Oh, yeah, the pack rafting, because it's a boat that you can pack and then walk in, uh, has opened a tremendous amount of rivers and then... uh, we go down river, down river, over a pass into another watershed, and then uh, down that watershed, and, and then we end up on a highway someplace. It's uh, <laughs> it's just you know we're discovering rivers steadily. There's a, a whole group of uh, pack rafters in Uganda that are doing some amazing travel, and, and it's ideal country for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read an article last year in the Up North magazine where some people took pack rafts and mountain bikes and did the North Canal Highway. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you could go yeah, anywhere on those yeah. those two modes of travel. Yeah. yeah, 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 and it's it's neat, you know what? Uh, uh, is their enthusiasm uh, reminds me of the enthusiasm when that we had when we were young boaters in Yukon, you know. So you you're paddling with a whole bunch of uh, enthusiastic young people that mm-hmm. want to go here and there, and uh, it's a tremendous amount of fun. I can't believe it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you're you're concerned with, you know, your well-being? Have you been in a in a awkward place that you couldn't get out of, or not really? You know, when you get used to nature, the the, the rules on the rivers are pretty simple. You know, you hit the rock or you miss it, <laughs> and the, and the river it doesn't care, and the rock doesn't care. So it's up to you to make it happen. You know. Yeah, and uh, so in a lot of ways, it's a very direct and simple life. And and then when you get to some place, if you don't like it, you can always walk around. It's not like you have to run everything. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's a myth that uh, it is a dangerous place to be. You, know, you have more people, and especially youth, dying of overdose in the city than you have people dying out and being in nature doing whatever they do. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So every time there's an accident or fatality on a river, they, or or even elsewhere, really in nature, it's being used. But but you look at a number of stuff that is happening downtown, or you know, it's uh, it's it's really uh, a really safe place to be in in many ways. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I know statistically mm-hmm. they can make things look like they're disproportionately dangerous, but. Oh, I completely agree. I've done several river trips yeah. myself, but nothing as epic as you've done. That's for darn sure. Yeah, yeah. statistics actually. Uh, U.S. Parks did statistics on uh, incident and accidents that happen in parks because when you go into the park, you have to register your activity, whatever it is driving through a park or fishing or hiking, and uh, and statistically, driving is the most dangerous thing that we do. And uh, next uh, is fishing, and way down at the bottom of the list is what people call all the extreme sports. You know, right? Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, you know, and offer kids a place where they can play and be themselves. Actually, it's probably a natural high. You know, mm-hmm. definitely is. 
Mm-hmm. Now, now, in the winter, obviously the rivers aren't flowing anymore. What do you spend your time doing? Like, do you Google map and find these new routes to take or how do you spend your time? Uh, yeah, a lot of Google map and I uh, guided in Chile in the wintertime for 20 years. And then I retired from that and now I'm spending basically a little time being a Canadian ranger or Yukon ranger. Oh, nice. And we break the quest trail and we break crews here and there and we move groups of people here and there. And that uh, has been uh, also a tremendous amount of fun. It's a really good uh, group to be part of. Mm -hmm. Well, they'd appreciate you. I mean, you have medical training as well and you have rescue training. You have all that stuff. Yeah. But it's also about group dynamic, you know, and working with people, and uh, and it's really it's a really nice it's a really nice outfit. Mm-hmm. So, are you the people that also go out and rescue people on the on those um, ultra marathons too? Uh, we train for that, and we're ready for that, and uh, we lots of time we break up the trail, and then we get things uh, prepared. But yes, they have done uh, quite a few rescues on the quest trail, and then um, the other raise that they have right after the quest there. Right. Yeah. Um, I just looked at another article here. You were talking about what is the bonnet plume and the wind and the um, the Peel River, all the ones that flow north. Is that something mm-hmm. you've had experience with too? Or are they on yeah, we we have been running trips up there. Uh, and, okay. and, uh, and then we have been up there on personal trips as well. I mean, it, it's a long ways to go, but... Uh, you know, there there's a beautiful area, a beautiful place in Yukon to be. Mm-hmm. And the logistics of getting there, that's that's kind of tricky too, isn't it? To get out of, would you fly out of Mayo, is it not? It's a little bit harder. We fly from Mayo, and then if you don't want to go all the way to Fort McPherson, you fly out of Taco Bar for all those rivers. Okay. So there is, uh, it's expensive, and there's quite a bit of flying uh, involved. Do you have to organize food drops and those kinds of things along the way, or do you take it all with you? No, we're pretty used to carrying all our food with us, you know, for doing 10-day trips and then packing. And so we never we never need to resupply halfway or, you know, we carry everything with us. So uh, what's going on with the TAT business right now? Like we're in COVID times. Is it still up and running? Uh, we're able to teach uh, courses, which has been great. Uh, we're not allowed to teach rescue courses yet. No. Uh, we might be able to do some day trips later on. And uh, and so far, all the long trips have been canceled because we're traveling to the United States. And, uh, you know, uh, they just opened BC, so now we can kind of go into BC a little bit. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and there's a restriction from people coming in. They don't want a quarantine coming in. So, right. so it's basically, you know, we're probably 90% down. Um, but we have no debts. So we're, you know, we'll, we'll survive the year. Oh, yeah. No. Kind of go, go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a following here. I mean, people aren't going to see you go high and dry. There's no way you've been doing that, mm-hmm. in, what, 40 years now, was it? 45 years? Yeah, it is. Yeah. 40 years. Yeah. 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 Now, correct me on my geography, but does the Alsec and the Tachinchini merge at some place, at some point? They do. They they merge uh, right before uh, Dry Bay, uh, about maybe uh, forty kilometers from the ocean. Okay. And it's also historically it is uh, 
the Tachinchini used to be called the Alsek, and the Blanchard used to be called the Tachinchini. And what we call the Alsek now used to be the Cascawash going all the way down to uh, where they both meet. Okay, and there was a glacier there, was there not? Is that the Cascawash Glacier? There, well, the Cascawash Glacier was in the news not too long ago because it receded and the, the, the water diverted. And instead of going into Kluwani Lake, it's all going down into the Alsek now. Right. So the Alsek levels have been up in Kluwani Lake has been dropping. Right. And then our Lowell Glacier and uh, Twismere Glacier and both of those glaciers have been surging back and forth. And I don't think people realize that even nowadays that these glaciers surge and uh, threaten to plug off the river. But uh, uh, 400 years ago, the low lake surge and plugged off the river and Ains Junction was a lake. I heard you know, about that. Uh, right. As you drive yeah, past yeah. from Haines to here, there's a, a high sandbar, gravel bar on one of the mountains. And that's the only explanation is that was actually a lake at one time, wasn't it? Yeah, when you go down the Alsec, you see uh, one area where you can see all the different water levels of the lakes as it drop down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really noticeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you've had some good adventures, great adventures. Yeah, we're all yeah. living vicariously through you, my friend. We truly are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thank you for your time. Um, I will definitely put a link up to the Sports Yukon Hall of Fame and. Um, I hope you have some more adventures going up north or wherever these next little map uh, reconnaissance missions are taking you. Oh, yeah, I have no intention from retiring from doing trips and having adventures. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, life is good. I nothing to complain about, really. Yeah. Well, congratulations again, and I will definitely bump into you in town and appreciate your time there, Bob. All right. Thank you very much. You have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Bob Daff, the founder of Yukon's Tachinchini Expediting. If you find yourself in the territory and you're looking for a fabulous day out, definitely get your butt in the boat. Get down there on the Blanchard River. Check it out. Your face and your diaphragm will be sore from laughing and giggling and screaming so much during that one day that you'll probably come back for the 7 or 10 or 12 or who knows what day trips that they offer. And it's one of those must-do bucket list things when you're here. I'll include in the show notes how you can book online through the Tachinchini Expediting website. And I'll also include a link to the Sports Yukon Hall of Fame, where you can read about its newest inductee, Bob Daff himself. And I'll also put that on the Facebook page and My Amazing Yukon Life website. And I'd like to give a big thanks to those who have already subscribed to the podcast. I certainly appreciate your support. If you're still on the fence, just hit the button and you'll get in the queue for the next podcast when it comes out. And I hope you enjoyed the show and the variety and uniqueness of each of these podcasts and find a little humor, some inspiration, and perhaps a little life lesson nugget in the bottom of your gold pan. Until next week, I'd like to leave you with a quote. The rules of life. Rules of life, number one and two. Number one is, never quit. Number two, always review rule number one. Until next time, take care. Talk to you soon. Cheers.